From transmitters of the Independent Broadcasting Authority, this is Granada. Maybe one of the songs you'll hear this evening will be the song you'll spend your summer with, or the song you fall in love to, or even the song with which you'll give someone a special message. So we wish you all a pleasant, pleasant evening. But now it's time to hear the songs, I isn't it? So, ladies and gentlemen, may we present the 35th Eurovision Song Contest. And this one couldn't be anything else but Spanish. Echoes of the flamenco. Long guitar introduction. Here they come for Spain. Song number one. Azucar Moreno. Bandido. And after that kind of introduction, the song's bound to be good, right? When you're ready. And they'd been given the big intro and everything from Wogan. Eduardo Leva was stood there and nothing. I don't like it. It's going too smoothly. Listen, will I hum you the first couple of bars while we're waiting here? Cue absolute panic in the gallery and they went to the old staple, shots from the back of the hall, which wasn't very far away at all. Eventually, after 27 uncomfortable seconds of Europe just watching nothing... <laughs> Gosh, this could be a long evening, you know, ladies and gentlemen. The tape kicked in and Bandido tried to start the song, but they couldn't hear anything and were so discombobulated they flounced off stage and I'd have done exactly the same. For another 75 seconds the playback played, the fake guitar playing backer made himself look a right tit and crushed the magic of television by revealing he was miming before they all went from the top again. Once more with feeling ladies, this time Eduardo, who still had issues, managed to conduct the orchestra into one of the longest introductions I've ever heard. When the girls started to sing though, it sounded like they were in a contest as to who could shout the loudest over the orchestra, and I think I'm calling it a dead heat. The tune, such as it is, was lost in all the shenanigans and they wandered particularly off course in the second verse. I'd like to think that this performance was the best they could do under the circumstances. The juries, though, looked favourably on this song by giving it 96 points with a 12 from Germany. Pity points, I reckon. Having done respectably with a Wham! tribute act a few years earlier, this time Greece seemed to have found the seventh runner-up in the George Michael Lookalike of the Year 1990 contest to lead the line. They do look a relieved crowd as they walk onto the actual right bit of the actual music played audibly though, but the guitarist takes a moment to make it clear that he is definitely playing this thing.
trouble is, the song, whilst officially translated as without a purpose, it might equally be rendered as completely pointless, and you may notice in the backing vocals falling back on the dit 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 towards the end. As the last trace of idea falls away into the trademark big final note. It's a brave attempt to have the audience have any recollection of what it is they're applauding, but when the Greek entry only gets six from the Cyprus jury, that probably tells its own story. Belgium up next, and our first blatant attempt at currying favour with the locals by singing about a constituent Republic of Yugoslavia, but not the one we were all in, Croatia, but Macedonia, because singing about somewhere other than where you are in a country that's just about to break is a good thing, yeah? The first three lines of this song sort of set the scene. I quote, Ahem. When she cries, it's the whole Adriatic which floods her eyes. When she sleeps, it's not far from Orid. And Philip is right. The song is not far from Orid. In fact, it's downright dreadful. Clearly the thought was to extol the virtues of the feminine form from the south of the country, but he just shoehorns in a gamillion French words into the song. And as such, it loses all the tune and becomes somewhat monotonic to the ear by the time he gets to the end of the first verse and chorus. There is a small break, but then the song repeats what's gone before, albeit with a couple less words, before petering out just before any climactic ending to the song. The whole thing is a bit, well, meh, really. And the jury's thought the same, with a score totalling just 46 points, with an 8 from France as a high point and an ironic naught from Yugoslavia itself. Next onto the stage would be the Turks. In 1990, they would not be known for their subtle and inventive songwriting that the next years would see coming to the fore. But rather, they were known for being a bit of a Johnny-come-lately to the contest. There was no doubt that they had been typically Turkish in most of their songs up to now, and this theme carried on here. Kayahan's song, Guzlerin in Haps and Daim, just say it the once, but say it confidently, rather disappointingly translated as captive in your eyes, is definitely an acquired taste. Probably something that's akin to kinney rather than the taste of victory, though. It's quite a thing in Eurovision, though, for the English translation of a song to be somewhat weirder than the original. This song, though, has the following in the chorus. Ahem. I... La 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 la, la 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 la, seagulls inside of me, which begs the question, why on earth was that line even a thing in Turkish? It makes no sense, even with the rest of the song. The jurors clearly found this equally as confusing. 17th place with 21 points, including a high of 7 from the somewhat strange Yugoslav jury. In the 1980s, 
in the Netherlands and other parts of continental Europe, Maywood were an established singing group with hits like this... And this... taking Metal Europa's charts by storm, but by 1990 their career had disintegrated and so naturally the only thing to do was to reform to try and take Europe by storm in the Eurovision Song Contest. They got through the obscenely strong Dutch National with 2A's Song Festival on the last jury, beating this into second place. But by the time the sisters got to Zagreb, the wheels had fell off the song somewhat. That or Europe's press and juries saw through the haze of nostalgia for Maywood in their homeland and realised the song was pretty out of date even for 1990. Alice was a bit wooden on stage and singing about salmon. was a bit weird to the anglophone ear, but she carried on regardless and the song went to places that anyone with a grounding in GCSE music could have predicted. The juries could also see where it was going, down the pan, quickly. And whilst there's nothing wrong with it per se, there's not enough to vote for, and as such hardly anyone did. 25 points meant 15th place. I, however, give this song the love it deserves, because I was shocked how low it was. I was young, alright? Now, I'd have thought one of the prerequisites of singing at a Eurovision would be to at least look as though you're enjoying it. That's very true for a vast majority of artists through the years, I reckon, but Celine Carzo seems not to have got that memo. She looks as bored as anything for the whole three minutes of this song, and that translates through the telly box to the viewing audience. If she's not having fun, we certainly aren't. Yes, I know she's only 17, and yes, she's about as Luxembourgeois as I am, and yes, I know that she's studying at Nice Conservatoire while singing this song, but she just gives the performance version of a teenage shrug for the entire time she's on stage. She also has a fixed stare with her head tilted to the side that never changes either. I guess she's either an unfeeling bitch with no soul who doesn't connect to the lyric of the song about the man of her dreams she's trying to woo, or she doesn't have any stagecraft and RTL were a bit lacking on the stage direction. I suspect a lot of A and a bit of B me thinks, because at the denouement of the song Celine doesn't even raise a smile or a hint of an emotion. Yup, cold hard bitch teen it is then. The juries were also unmoved, 38 points and 13th place. At the other end of the teenage spectrum we have the wholesome Emma Louise Booth, who at 16 had clearly not fell foul of the Welsh disease of single motherhood and was a paragon of virtue compared to the dark brooding mare that came on stage before her. Should be 
two songs back to back could not be much more of a contrast if they tried. Luxembourg's teenager was trying to catch her man by any means possible, it seems, whereas Emma, standing as a beacon, possibly a Brecon beacon, for all the UK teen population, was just trying to be wholesome and nice and save the planet and etc. Both of these teenagers are the complete antithesis of what teenagers actually are. Raging hormones, bitter drinking and fags, but on the whole, harmless enough. Couple Emma's OTT persona with Paul Curtis's song about the planet dying on us, fully 30 years before Greta Thunberg was doing it. Though say what you like about Paul's billion entries to a song for Europe, he gave us this. so all of his sins are almost wiped out. And you have the recipe for a puke-making, sickly sweet three minutes that even this diabetic cannot stomach without a million litres of insulin on standby. It's a typically safe BBC choice for a contest in this era when the UK were happy just singing any old shit in English because it had a natural advantage. This isn't just any old shit though. It's the first song I heard outside of Eurovision, in the amusement arcade of Pines Caravan Park Dizzeth, thanks for asking, in June of 1990. So it's not all bad, it's just mostly wooden and staged badly, even with gratuitous Miriam Stockley in the background. Sixth place, and a 12 from Belgium with four 10 points as well, meant it resonated with the jurors a bit, and frankly, that's all you can ask for. After Helga gave us... A very warm hello. We move into the second third of the contest with Iceland. Now... If you ask someone to describe a typical Eurovision song, they would almost certainly describe something near this. The British public, who we would ask, would clearly say that a Eurovision song would be light and fluffy with all the banks of a squash ball and all the musical nags of a big fat nothing. Sigur and her chum Greta certainly gave the UK what it needed, if not the rest of Europe. It's a boy and a girl singing a light flowery pop song about nothing much in particular, but if we had to nail down a theme, it's about them being in love and stuff, but that doesn't matter, because they look happy on stage. Really happy. In fact, crazed, loved-up stalker happy. The tune and the arrangement are the best bits of this, it fairly zips along, and it's that very Eurovision fandom word, inoffensive. In fact, the jury's almost made this song border on the likeable, and those same Brits and their wacky Portuguese gave this 12 points each, and the rest of Scandinavia giving it high marks as well. Enough to end up in fourth place, in fact. Also, anybody actually notice that Johnny Bravo's conducting the orchestra here? Anyone remember 1986? Anyone? Anyone born in 1986? No? Well, for all of you that were and aren't saying anything, Yetil Stockham defended the home country's honour with this. and ended up 12th with a song whose visual were infinitely better than the audio. Four years later he's back, after beating Ciro runner-up in the national final tour Enderson, and Jan Tigen his wife and Corolla.
clearly the title of the shittest poor movie ever made in a national final in a hotel lobby. No, go on, really watch it, it was. Anyway, back to the song. The title gives away what it's about, but for you slow learners, it's about, yeah, the Brandenburg Gate, yeah. There's reference no less than 19 times in 36 lines of lyric. There's definitely no doubt that the song has been purchased from the musical equivalent of Little, but I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, what else would I expect to hear in a song with the title Brandenburg Tour? Are some fine lyrics and not the equivalent of the Norwegian rhyming dictionary, so that every verse ends with Tor too much to ask for? It seems so, because it's such a rubbish song that it ended up tying for being the worst song of the night. It clearly got pity points. Eight of them. Four from Israel, three from Ireland and one from Denmark, and thankfully, none from anybody sensible. Israel is not my favourite song this year. In fact, I can't see its charms at all, I know. I know that will divide opinion amongst the eight of you that listen to this podcast regularly, but hey, we can't all like the same things, can we? Rita wasn't Israeli by birth, she's Iranian but she got previous with the Eurovision. She then took Kadam 1986 and didn't win. In fact, only finishing tied fourth to this. How? Anyway, she went and recorded some more songs and the IBA came knocking in 1990. The song is basically an impassioned ode to woman power as she plucks up the courage to leave her husband stroke lover as he sleeps, cowardly bitch, and then sings in the streets as her newfound freedom envelops her. That'll serve her right, won't it? To my ear, it's just a lot of wailing and sliding down the mic stand at the end like a slut, rather than hashtag Me Too Freedom Hour. But, you know, the other view is that it's so emotional that it deserved higher. The juries, though, were decidedly in my camp for once, and thought that it was just a load of hideous nonsense. It gained only 16 points. Phrases you thought you'd never script in a podcast to part 26. What do cool Kai... And Lonnie Devantier have in common. Is it their rugged good looks, I hear you cry? Surprisingly, no, it's the fact that they're both singing songs about telephones and neither have one on stage. Lonnie did in the Danish national final, though, and the dancers were, well, dancing on it. But comes our grab, DR thought better of it and just sent the dancers instead. They still managed to send Cool Kai as well, so they're not quite all there. You see, hello. back in the late 80s and early 90s, their national finals were chock full of up-tempo Schlager, and this is a song from that mould. Visually though, Lonnie doesn't give off the vibe of a terribly experienced singer. Indeed, she has a rabbit in headlights look for most of the song, and is grabbing onto the microphone as if her life depended on it, and doing some dad dancing instead of proper choreography, which is a shame, because vocally she's giving a good account of herself.
if she'd let go a bit more and just loosened up, I think it would have come higher than 8th place. The jurors just couldn't get past the stiff wooden nature of the performance, and 5 7 points are the highest it's got. Egon Eggerman. A name that sounds innocuous enough, but for those of us with long memories, it conjures up nightmares. The Swiss TV Stylino consulting department must have taken a few months off after this song was selected, because no one in their right mind should have let him on stage in a white suit in the national final, let alone at Eurovision proper. It doesn't suit his unshaven face, and his mad staring eyes as he plays his violin on stage or shouts serial killer to me. And people say the Mona Lisa's eyes follow you round the room, they've clearly not seen these performances. The song? Oh yes, that. It really is just background music as you stare hopelessly and hypnotically into his eyes. It's also a vehicle for him to remind us that he can play the violin, and for values of play I mean mine. Sie spielt in du, wenn sie die Muse küsst, und auch in which seems to make you forget that the verses are sung in a key too low for him, and the choruses have been written by a high school student because they're basic beyond belief. Also, as an aside, a violin and a bow are very awkward props to have on stage because it means that Egon can't actually do anything other than sway from side to side or thrust his arms forward. All in all, it's an awkward three minutes, though the Danes and the Greeks thought this was the best song on the night. Were they bought, perhaps? No one else thought much of it. Twelfth place. Germany is a song that should have been an easy sell on the face of it. It's going to be united, mix in a dash of Berlin Wall coming down and togetherness and brotherhood, and whilst it might not win, it'll do well, right? Well, not if these two have anything to do with it because Daniel and Chris only had to get it right three times live, but the phrase, you only had one job, comes immediately to mind. Let's go back to the German final in March 1990. The winner would be the last one from West Germany alone, and, naturally, a song about reunification and etc. should be well placed, yeah? However, all hope drained away when this happened. Daniel made the cardinal mistake. He cocked up his own song. Starting early and then stopping should have been the death knell for this song and opened the door for something more poppy and less painfully stiff and badly staged. But no, the Germans knew what they wanted and televoted in their tens for this, while they were about forgiveness after all. However, the reprise of this song is the kind of thing professional singers dread. First off, Daniel is so convinced that the 11 losing artists would join in with his ballad of peace and harmony, because, well, Germany in it, that he stops singing and they don't reply. Listen. If that wasn't bad enough, Chris can't hear her backing or click track and sings hideously out of tune for most of the rest of the song. Six weeks later, we're in Yugoslavia and surely by now things would have got better. They'd have been singing it live, one hopes, on all the television programmes they'd have done, and it seems to have paid off, thankfully, because for the first two minutes, song sung really well, 
Harmonies are working, levels and earphones seem okay, not at all pitchy, looking properly assured. And then, just as BR were going out to relax and soak up the sympathy votes, Chrissy's microphone on the broadcast seems to, well, cut out, which leaves a big selling point of the song, well, somewhat flat and unheard. She does try to cover it up by singing quite loudly towards the end, but the damage has been done, and the most cursed and error-ridden song possibly in Eurovision history ended up in ninth place with just 60 points. Not so much harmony and togetherness, but division and technical foul-ups marring what could have been a winning song with a fair wind. France had been going through a bad patch. For the previous 10 years, the closest they'd gotten to the Grand Prix was this. back in 1981. They buggered off in 1982 after sulking about not winning, then came back and had finished no higher than 8th. They had to do something about this. They turned to the divisive composer Serge Gainsbourg, who'd set the world alight with Jane Birkin and the Eurovision world alight with France Gala Minouche Borelli, the latter singing a song about living a life before she gets blown up. and the former singing a song that's arguably about managers manipulating artists in the music industry. Serge's first attempt at a song for 1990 didn't go down well with Joelle, and I can't think why a song called Black Lolita Blues went down so badly personally. Serge went away with a flea in his ear and rewrote the song and came back with an ode to needing racial harmony, with a bit of edginess thrown in as was his want. Joelle really performs the socks off this song. The band of all colours behind her really sells it, and the fact it's written in 3-4 time and has a driving beat also helps. It got six sets of 12 points, more than any other song in the contest. But also, a slew of quite low scores and nothing at all from the Italians meant equal second place. No one was complaining though, least of all the French. Yugoslavia next. The home team and defending champions, and no, Croatia have never won the contest, millennials. They had the national final this year, as they did in most years. But with the country itself disintegrating before people's very eyes, it was no surprise that the voting in the national final seemed to go along nationalistic lines. Ultimately, though, it was the Marilyn Monroe-alike Tachi, who does have a real name, but I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce it, who came out on top. Wherever else this song is, it is immaculately performed by Marilyn, sorry, Tachi, who doesn't put a foot or note wrong. This song gets me all confuddled though. On the one hand, it only has three stanzas of lyric repeated twice, and the chorus is repeated loads of times in its own right, which, to me, smacks of lazy songwriting. 
And yet, it's precisely because it's an earworm that makes me smile and I know all the words to it and know I'm not singing them either that gives it a place in my heart. Europe's jurors seem to be equally confused. Two twelves from Turkey and Israel and three tens, and then a bunch of nothing, meant seventh place. Portugal didn't really get 1990, I think it's fair to say. It started in the old Stylino consulting department by making Nusha and her backing singers wear paper musical notes on their front. It looks all sorts of naff, and for those of us that notice these things, the total sum of the notes was 1 and 5 eighths. Now, the cynical amongst you could say that this song should have scored that many points, but quite frankly, you'd be too evil, but hmm, downright funny. The song is the next bit that's problematic. There is no hiding this, it's just not very good. It has precisely nothing to get you enthused about it. It's very basic Eurovision by numbers that almost any country could have put in into the late 80s or early 90s song contests and got a decent result. The Portuguese language though makes even the most staid and predictable song sound even worse through no other fault than how it sounds. There's the predictable giving up on the lyric writing by the wheeze of getting the backing singers to clap in time with what passes for the rhythm so the lyricist doesn't have to think of many more words towards the end. The key change is also there to make up the numbers, but the juries and television viewers must surely be agreed in the fact that this type of thing has been done a lot better. Luckily for Nusha, she didn't score one and five eighths points, but she didn't score many more, nine of them. From one song that wasn't very good, we rolled straight into another, Ireland. Now some, all or none of you, might like to be sticking pins in my eyes at this point, but this song, like the previous one, is a classic example of how not to write a song. Let's start with the good bits. Liam Riley, yes, he really is the best bit of this whole three minutes. A seasoned performer with the group Bagatelle, he also tried his hand at representing Ireland before, but got beaten by... So if you meet somebody... in 1988. Two years later, he clearly decided that throwing any old words at some music was the way to win Europe's hearts and in a cynical, one might say desperate attempt to name check as many juries as possible, he writes a song with a chorus that makes my skin crawl. The jurors in 1990, though, aren't me, and for a reason that nearly 30 years on I still can't fathom, they put this in second equal place, scoring the same amount of points as the Serge Gainsbourg Classic 6 Eurovision minutes ago. Two twelves, three tens, and a host of other scores got it there. The sensible UK jury gave it 10. Sometimes the decisions of national song contests confuse me. Take Sweden in 1990. Their Melody Festival then had a Corolla. A Peter Yerbach. A Lotta Engberg. 
Aloha Folkman. A power cut that left viewers in parts of Sweden bereft of Corolla. A host totally out of her depth when Kunteri Conquest interrupts her to tell her this and, at the very end of a long night, possibly the worst winner in the history of national finals. For reasons beyond me to this day, the 11 juries around Sweden decided that, in contrast to modern times, they didn't fancy hosting it or Corolla winning it just yet and chose, well, a song that has a 20 second introduction of no words. This on its own should be enough to sentence this to no points, but it gets worse, and for values of worse, Europe was subjected to a very long three-minute whine set to music, sung by seemingly the cast of a very shit Stockholm musical. They were, in fact, an established contemporary Christian music group, and someone should have shouted, For the love of God, stop it! The words were handed around so that the two sets of brothers in the group wouldn't squabble about who had the biggest part, because sharing is the Christian way after all. And the music had the equivalent of flashing neon signs telling you where the key changes and big notes were. It's also terribly terrible that the Trendy Vickers only scored 24 points. Too many if you ask me. If Sweden proved that national audiences have no taste, then Italy proves that the chosen national juries can, at times, have a collective brain fart as well. In CMA 1992 is, at its heart, a song that's praising the start of the European Union, and whilst the Treaty on European Union didn't really need to be set to music, those wacky old Italians thought they'd have a go anyway. Insieme, unite, unite, Europe. The stars in your eyes candidates to impersonate Jacques Delors would be Toto Cotugno. Like Jacques Delors, Toto was well known in his home country, but no bugger cared for him outside of that. He'd won San Remo in 1980, and been runner-up four times in a row from 1987 to 1990, so to put him out of his misery, Rai gave him the golden ticket, packed him off to Zagreb, told him to write a song and sing it to the best of his ability, there's a good chap. Togetherness and harmonious living aren't the first things you'd associate with Italy and definitely not what you associate with the European Union. But the idea was seemingly so strong that Toto preached that his European brethren, well, 12 of them, would come together under the same flag and the same stars, 12 of them presumably as well. Europe's jurors also liked this idea. Of the other 11 European community member states at that time, 10 of the 11 gave it points, making 86 of the 149 that it scored. Insieme. The only one not to give it anything? Yep, you guessed it. Bonkers Brexit Britain and a telling foreshadowing of what was to come. Third last on stage were those crazy Austrians. They'd been lulled into a full sense of security the previous year by Thomas Forstner Love from Europe, and followed this up with a little quality national final. I mean, seriously, it was all neon and bad and stuff, and the songs weren't up to much. Though it does say something when the winner of the final isn't the song that won it, though. 
You see, the 1990 Austrian final is a thing of wonder, and by that I mean all sorts of wrong, naturally. The eighth song of that night, ironically called Das Beste, The Best, had to be sung again at the end when one of the singers faints very dramatically in the middle of the song and no one comes to help her. This is all explained away by the fact that she'd lost 20 kilograms in the lead-up to the contest so that widescreen TVs wouldn't be needed in Austria just yet, but it left her clearly hungry and ultimately on the floor. Confusion reigns. She gets taken off and the last two songs are sung, but, and here's the thing, within about 10 minutes she's right as rain again, and they sing the song and go on and win the thing. What a story, listeners. <laughs> except that the songwriters seem not to realise that entering the self-same song two years ago in a German radio semi is indeed illegal and off booted them out. Step forward Simone, whose song about the fall of the Berlin Wall <sighs> had finished runner-up by quite some distance and now getting the ticket to Zagreb. Clearly Orff gave her no camera training because she doesn't look intentionally at the camera once through the first couple of stanzas in the chorus. They might not vote for your love, but the people at home actually want to see your face. Having said that though, the dads of Europe weren't looking at her face and the gays of Europe were clearly taken with her shoulder pads. This song is a 90-second idea, No More Walls, stretched beyond its breaking point and made to fit the three-minute rule. The lyric is, at best, written by a ten-year-old and the trick of singing in the home language of the contest is a tired one. Even without knowing the backstory, it all just feels a bit contrived and the ending gives the whole thing a feel of not being very bothered. It finished only two points behind the country whose walls had actually fallen rather worryingly. If Simone was for the straights, then Anastasio was clearly camping it up for the gay massive. Apart from Mickey in 1977, I've never seen someone mince all over the stage quite as expressively as your man Anastasio. It's always a worry though when the backing singers are off key to start with mind. When he does start though, the combo of singing and mincing seems to be somewhat beyond him, as you can see him counting to eight in his head, and it's safe to say he's not the most natural mover on God's earth. He's also been to the Simone school of not looking at the camera, which makes this a very hard watch. It's also a very hard listen as well, because it seems to be one of those songs that's there to tick all the boxes that seem to be what Europe wanted in 1990. Light key change, nothing too deep because that's what Germany and Italy were there for. Nasine, Hisume, Caramela, Tibor, Nasine, Hisume, Caramela, Tibor, Nasine, Hisume, Caramela, Tibor, Nasine, Hisume, Caramela, Tibor, Nasine, Hisume, Caramela, Tibor,
title of the song, Milas Poli, translates as you talk too much, though the burghers of Europe might have wanted to translate it as shut up, you've been on my screen too long. The jurors did too, and only gave it 36 points, and even the Greeks only gave it mild love, just 6 points. And finally Sweden get another go, no, Finland. You saw what I did there, yes? There is a small but vociferous portion of Finland that doesn't speak Finnish. It speaks something akin to Swedish but with a harsher accent as if that's even possible and beats were four of those people. The first thing that comes into my head when I see this song is that you rarely see Brian May, Anita Dobson and Jana Engblom in the same room because they all could be one and the same person. The next thing is does some country and western band need their threads back as this lot seem to have stolen them, followed by listening to the song which makes you wonder why Sweden proper have never sent a rock Slager fusion song. And after hearing this one, you might well have your answer to that. It smacks of laziness from the songwriting team again, a theme this year. The chorus is sung four times and the verses aren't that complex and they only run to four lines each and it's just very grating towards the end and you feel as though all the fun has been drained away from your life and you are an empty shell. Bit like the Finns really, they scored eight points. So that's 1990 done and dusted, and in fact, that's it for this year. And what a year 2019 has been, our 20th year of coverage for Eurovision. A big thank you to everyone who makes this site possible, and to you, our readers and listeners, and see you in 2020. Have a great Christmas, have a great New Year, and hopefully see you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in 2020. Bye! And just a final reminder about your sets. Don't forget to turn them off, will you? Good night.